Good morning, everybody. It looks like a few of you are still sleeping, which is okay. My son is still sleeping as well. I get it. Maybe we should move back to two o'clock, but uh, when kids actually wake up. But uh, the, the people who are sleeping through this are missing an incredible speaker. Uh, Michael has a great story. We're going to start out with a video. I really think that the most important thing is that your life should be one purposeful life and should, should really be a life with a purpose. Whether you're doing this in business, whether you're doing in philanthropy, or whether you're doing it with faith, everything should be coherent and it should be together. And you're gonna see this with Michael's life, um, how someone, and I don't wanna to take too much of his thunder, I'm gonna let Michael do the speaking, but he has an incredible story and really it's an incredible story of faith and perseverance. So without further ado, Michael, why don't you take it from here? Good, uh, good morning, everybody. Uh... I only see one uh, one camera on. Uh, is that uh, Arnusha? Hi, nice to see you. Yeah, if you could all turn your cameras on, that'd be great to be able to see you. If not, uh, that's fine too. Uh, what uh, what I'd like to do before I talk, uh, because I tend to do too much of that, uh, is I am going to have Nico uh, play a short video, a news story. Uh, that was shot, uh, not so much on me, but uh, uh, on some of the things that I've gone through a couple years ago uh, while I was traveling and uh, teaching uh, Hatha Yoga. I'm a Hatha Yoga instructor, uh, a recovering attorney uh, by profession, but, uh, but a Hatha Yoga instructor by choice. Nico is going to play that uh, video now, and then afterwards I'll talk a little bit, and then uh, there'll be some time at the end for you all to uh, answer questions. Ah, great. Thanks for turning the videos on. So nice to see you all. Michael Fine will never forget April 14th of 2010. I was driving to work one day on a beautiful spring, sunny day. Uh, first nice day of spring in Chicago. It's the day his life changed forever. He was driving to work when suddenly a big red concrete truck uh, crosses uh, the center line at about 45, 50 miles an hour. Uh, hits me head on, um, drives up my hood through my windshield, takes off my arm. A good Samaritan in a nearby car jumped into action. Picked up my arm, marshaled a bunch of people around us, fashioned a tourniquet out of tree twigs and rags, saved my life. Michael would spend the next six weeks in the hospital, undergoing nearly 10 surgeries. His arm could not be reattached, leaving him with a condition called phantom limb pain. I still feel the arm as if it was attached to my body, uh, even though it's not. Uh, it feels as if it's encased in a block of ice and being squeezed all the time. Michael is in constant pain, and things like extreme heat and extreme cold make that pain worse. Being afraid, anxious, or stressed also trigger more pain, and he was dealing with more than enough stress. About a month and a half prior to the accident, I lost my dad. Uh, two months after the accident, uh, my mom was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer, given six months to live. Uh, she lasted 18. On top of that, his insurance company was trying to get out of paying his bills. Michael spiraled into a dark, suicidal depression. Spent about a month of my life while my wife my kids slept upstairs in their beds with a belt around my neck over a basement door till I passed out. He tried to kill himself over. In my garage with my car turned on, the door shut. And over at uh, my bathroom sink with a knife at my wrist, trying to end it. And over again. Took a bottle of pills. My wife, my oldest at the time, who was in seventh grade, came home, found me on the kitchen floor, took me back into the hospital, 
I was put into a different ward of the hospital than I was uh, the six weeks that I stayed there. That's when Michael decided that he had to find a new way forward. One of his friends was a yoga instructor. He suggested that Michael try yoga to help him regain his balance. Eventually, Michael graduated to hot yoga, where the room is 105 degrees at 40% humidity. This yoga, this yoga is like getting punched in the face. So when I first started it, I was like, oh my God. But after each class, he felt better. So much better that he's been doing it regularly for seven years now. And his friends convinced him that he would make a good teacher. So he started the training, but for the first three weeks, he was miserable. I packed my bags to go home three or four times throughout that training. And then he had a revelation. And I realized I was there for everybody else, for everybody else's reasons of becoming this inspirational teacher and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that wasn't enough to keep me there. About midway through, I finally figured out that I wanted to be there for me. And that was the only way to get through. You can't go through something like that for somebody else. I actually got the chance to take Michael's class while he was in town, and it was absolutely inspiring. His story really makes you push through every moment of that class and give your absolute best with no excuses. The cool thing is, he says he got into this because other people were encouraging him to be an inspiration to others. It turns out, he says, we should really be focusing on being an inspiration to ourselves. Be your own guru. Be your own hero. Wow. Um, every time I see that, it's still, uh, uh, it still brings up lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of emotions uh, in, uh, in good and uh, in, in some challenging ways as well. Uh, let me start this discussion out this morning uh, with a proposition for you all. I'll say it twice so it lands. You each have the ability to heal. Let me say it again. You each possess internally the ability to heal from anything, physical, mental, spiritual trauma. Our body's natural predisposition, if given the right ingredients, tools, mindful lifestyle, proper nutrition, hydration, our body's natural predisposition if given those tools is to heal. Most of the time, the biggest challenge to doing so is ourselves. Many of us, <laughs> uh, you all heard the expression, you're your own worst enemy. Many of us get in the way of that process by getting up into our heads and create impediments, uh, making the process more difficult to do so. I tell you about this ability to heal, not because I read it in a book, saw it on Facebook or Instagram or some website. I say this to you all because I have lived it now. Lived it now for 10 years. This past month was the 10 year anniversary of that accident. Uh, the man they talked about in that story who saved my life, whose name is saved in my, my contacts in my phone as Earth Angel, his name is Eric Coleman. I see him often, a little less often now, uh, living in the land of COVID. Uh, but I see him often, my children, who at the time of that accident um, were younger than you all. Uh, my oldest at the time was in seventh grade. My youngest was in fifth. 
my kids grew up calling Eric uncle. I'm the third guy that Eric has saved, uh, ironically enough. Um, Earth Angel's a pretty accurate description of what he is. Uh, he's not a doctor, not even a medical professional, just somebody in the right place at the right time for three other people other than me uh, who was able to maintain a sense of calm in a pretty graphic emergency situation. Uh, he was driving in the lane adjacent to me and witnessed the whole accident. And that was the first time that day that my life was saved. The second time that day, and I remember up to the impact of that accident, I remember the big red blur hitting me and that's, uh, that's all I remember, uh, fortunately. I think your brain you know, has a way of protecting you uh, from trauma. Um, and I, I went through uh, you know, uh, a great deal of therapy uh, after that accident, physical, mental, uh, all different types of therapy. Um, and, uh, I don't, I fortunately don't remember anything, you know, other than that moment of impact. I went to the hospital from there, you know, spent about 16 hours in, a in a surgery to, uh, to rebuild my shoulder and, uh, start to close the wound that, uh, you know, was left from my arm being ripped off in the accident. Uh, spent about a week in the ICU at Lutheran general, uh, and then spent, uh, spent another, another five weeks uh, recovering, uh, enduring eight surgeries during that time, two more uh, at the end of that year, uh, one more this past July, I think, I'm, I think I'm done. So I'm capping out at 11 and it's not a number I would aspire to for, for any of you. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, uh, that accident, like, uh, like it said in the news story was, uh, was just the beginning for me. Uh, coming out of that hospital, filled with a profound sense of gratitude for really just not dying. <laughs> uh, I know that seems a little strange, but the fact that I walked away from that accident, you know, was, uh, was an amazing thing to me. And I was filled with such gratitude for just surviving uh, and having the chance to, uh, you know, to watch my kids grow up and, and grow old with my wife. Uh, was, uh, was how I came out of that hospital on top of the world. Um, it started to decline pretty quickly from that point. Um, the insurance company that I had at the time for my health insurance, keep in mind this was before, this was April of 2010, before the Affordable Care Act, or what's left of it anyway, it was in place. Um, and the insurance companies in Illinois had... Uh, a, a powerful tool called the right of rescission, the ability to cancel an insurance policy. I was a self-employed uh, attorney mortgage company owner at the time with a brand new individual health insurance policy that I only had for four months. Uh, right after the accident, everything was wonderful. The insurance company contacted us, no problem. We're gonna take care of everything. Don't worry about a thing. Uh, and then when I got home, they stopped taking my phone calls. Stopped taking my wife's phone calls. And we were like, what's going on? Uh, well, what they were trying to do uh, was they did, uh, if many of you are familiar with uh, business terms, as I imagine you all are now because of uh, your brilliant mentor, Steve, uh, they did what's called a cost benefit analysis. The cost was, or the benefit, they received four months of my premiums because it was a new policy for me. And the cost 
was about $650,000 of medical bills that I had accrued being in that hospital for six weeks on uh, having eight surgeries. That weighed the cost and the benefits and determined that business-wise, it really wasn't a good business decision to pay these bills. So for a full year, they did everything in their power not to. Um, that coupled with the fact that the guy that hit me, uh, who by the way, blamed me for hitting him, uh, and uh, because I really wasn't there at the accident and seemed to defend myself, because uh, I was in an ambulance on the way to the hospital because my arm had just been ripped off. Um, you know, he told the police officers that I crossed the center line and hit them, or hit him rather. Uh, they cleaned up the accident right away. So uh, even though they took some pictures, it was still kind of uh, uh, not a slam dunk as to whose fault it was. So I had a health insurance company that wasn't paying my bills. I had a guy who hit me who didn't have any money. So I couldn't turn around and sue him. So, and his insurance company that he had only was minimal insurance coverage. Back then in the state of Illinois, you only needed $10,000 of coverage uh, to drive a car. Um, that $10,000 didn't even cover the car that I was driving, let alone my $650,000 of medical bills. Uh, that added to the fact that I had just lost my dad about a month and a half prior to the accident. I was getting calls from doctor's offices, collection agencies, uh, the insurance policy that I had, the one that wasn't being paid, uh, was not the greatest insurance policy back then because it didn't have many of the protections that you know, insurance policies have now. It gave me seven, seven vis uh, physical therapy visits. You think I needed more than seven visits after having my arm ripped off to recover? Um, it didn't cover any behavioral health. So it didn't cover me talking to any kind of therapist or psychiatrist or psychologist. All of that on top of my mom being diagnosed with stage four lung cancer spiraled me down into that deep dark depression. I was on a prescription pill diet at that time of 35 pills a day, primarily pain pills. All the opioid narcotics you've ever heard of, Norco, Vicodin, Oxycontin, Methadone, Morphine, Fentanyl, you name it. I was either on it or tried it nerve blocker pills because this is a nerve pain condition, this phantom pain that I still feel to this day. Gabapentin, Lyrica, Cymbalta, uh, antidepressants, uh, Seroquel, Abilify, side effect pills, side effect pills to those pills, pills to go to sleep, pills to wake up, pills to go to the bathroom, pills to stop going to the bathroom, and so on and so on and so on. All of that helped to spiral me down into that deep dark depression. Uh, you know, my oldest and my wife came home one day, found me on the kitchen floor after taking a bottle of pills, took me back into that hospital. You know, this was the ward where there uh, was no exit. You were under 24 hour surveillance. They took my shoelaces, my belt, um, primarily with a bunch of drug addicts and recovering alcoholics. No, no judgment, just, oh my God, how did I fall so far so fast? How am I going to get out of there? Um, you know, it was a, it was a terrible uh, experience. Um, by some act of God, Allah, Buddha, Jesus, energy, I think all those things, quite frankly, are all the same. I think that as long as you're coming from a place of goodness and faith, I take no uh, uh, liberties or uh, 
stock in one is more or less or better or worse than the other. I think uh, by some act of uh, one of those wonderful things, I kind of call them energy because uh, uh, quite frankly, that's what I, I subscribe to the fact that it's just a, it's an energy. Uh, I made it out of that hospital and I made it out of that hospital still chronically depressed um, and still in awful pain looking for a new way forward. How can I get off of all these pills? How can I get my life back? How can I create a new normal? You know, it's a, it's a term that's being used quite a bit these days in the world that we're living in now, uh, Corona land uh, with new normals that are being created sometimes, you know, multiple times on a daily basis. How can I find my new normal? How can I move forward? How can I get off these pills? I went very Eastern in my approach to, to medicine. Um, acupuncture, Reiki, cranial sacral therapy, sensory limitation, flotation, cryotherapy, massage therapy, cupping, uh, energy work, all wonderful, wonderful modalities, many of which I still uh, practice. Uh, my acupuncturist at the time, um, recommended a specific type of yoga. I had started doing yoga as part of this whole regime, more as a mechanism to regain my physical sense of balance. Uh, when you lose the arm, your weight distribution is off a little bit. So I'd be bumping into walls. I'd be <laughs> stepping funny downstairs. I just, my, my physical equilibrium was off from, uh, from losing you know, the balance of, of that left arm. Uh, I then went into some forms of, of, of hot yoga. The, the woman that uh, had helped me initially, my dear friend, uh, was a vinyasa yoga instructor, and she came over to try to teach me some postures to, to help me with my balance. Uh, my acupuncturist recommended this other type of yoga called uh, hatha yoga, uh, specifically known as the Bikram method, which is a series of 26 postures and two breathing exercise, uh, exercises uh, in a 105 degree room uh, at 40% humidity. I noticed when I had practiced some of the vinyasa yoga in the hot room, or not quite 105, but warm rooms, the heat helped me a little bit with the pain. I didn't really put much stock in it. Uh, I didn't really know what it was, but I felt a little bit better, you know, practicing that type of yoga. So I decided to try this yoga. Um, you know, like I said in the video, I hated it. There was no music. There was no warm, touchy people telling me how awesome I was. And if I didn't want to do something, they'd say, oh, do whatever you want or do this or do that twice. This was a very structured, rigid, uh, militaristic type, you know, instruction. Very, very specific in how it's done. And similar to acupuncture, as my acupuncturist described to me, it works off of a series of tourniquet effects holding these postures for a prescribed amount of time, you cut off blood flow to every different area of your body, muscle, bone, joint, tissue, tendon, organ, system, all the way down to a cellular level. And then when you release the postures, when you come out of the posture, high-speed, fresh, oxygenated blood rushes through those areas and flushes out plaque, scar tissue. And over a period of time of doing this practice, your body returns to homeostasis. 
everything just starts to work the way that it was designed to work. Your liver, your kidneys, your spleen, your organs, so forth, so on. Um, I came out of that first class thinking, oh my God, I'm never coming back. This sucked. I hated it. It was so hot. The guy that was teaching it wasn't like really sweet or kind. He was kind of like barking at me the whole time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not coming back. I walked out of the room and about a half an hour later, you know, I live at about a six or a seven on that proverbial one to 10 scale of uh, pain. Uh, if you're into the color thing, somewhere between yellow and orange on that uh, color scale. I noticed about a half an hour after that very first class, I went down to like a three or a four. And it scared the hell out of me at first because I hadn't been at a three or a four. I actually didn't remember being at a three or four ever uh, since the accident. And it lasted for like an hour or two hours. And I was like, wow, that was strange. So I went back. And then I went back and then I went back and I went back and I went back and I went back and pretty soon I was going every day. Uh, there's nothing noble about what I'm doing. It's called pain avoidance. <laughs> and I like living in less pain than in more pain. And I can honestly tell you in the more than now 3000 classes that I've taken in the past uh, nine years, which will be uh, June 1st to be my nine year anniversary of the practice. Um, there hasn't been one time that I walked out of that room feeling, uh, not feeling less pain than when I walked in. And when something works like that, every single time, when you sit under the tree and the apple falls down from the tree and hits you in the head because things fall down, gravity, or when you hit a switch and the lights go on every single time because that's how the circuit works, it's not touchy-feely, it's not magic, it's science. It's a universal truth. When something works the exact same way every single time, it's, it's a constant. So this yoga has been the basis of my existence now for almost nine years. Uh, as you saw in the video, I went back a few years uh, ago uh, and became a teacher. And now I've been teaching this yoga for about three and a half, uh, it'll be four years, uh, you know, late fall. And for the first time in my whole life, I'm 52 years old. I love what I do. I feel like I help people each and every day that I do it. During this whole pandemic, I've been teaching on Zoom. I teach like 11 or 12 classes a week, three different time zones all over the world, uh, you know, from Spain, uh, where I was when this virus hit, uh, teaching, you know, to Louisville, Kentucky, to Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, to Boulder, Colorado. Um, this yoga has become the basis of my existence. I am nobody special. I have a story just like all of you have a story. I teach people that they have the ability to heal. I like the words transformation facilitator more than teacher or instructor. That's all I do from the perch of a podium in a 105 degree room is teach people that they have everything they need to heal from whatever it is they're trying to heal from. Most people come to this yoga broken to some extent. 
whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual pain. Everybody comes to this for a reason. Most people don't just wander into the room saying, oh, I got nothing to do today, so I'm gonna go spend 90 minutes in a 105 degree room at 40% humidity because I'm bored. People are in there looking for something. And what we're going through right now is a challenge. I don't dispute that, you know, and some of the feelings that I imagine many of you are feeling, just like me, of isolation, of separation, loneliness because of what we're living through because a natural human need is connection to other humans uh, is a little different now than it's been until this point in all of our lives. Um, this Zoom platform has been an amazing mechanism to connect. Energy doesn't know any boundaries. Energy doesn't know the boundaries of a screen or walls or borders. We're living in a borderless world right now for the first time ever. Life is full of lots of silver linings. And if you choose to really try to find the silver linings in what it is that you're going through now, other points in your life, you'd be surprised as to how it can change your perspective on what you see. You know, the two kids that, uh, you know, that uh, I told you about originally uh, and you heard about in the news story, my oldest now is 23. Um, he, uh, next month, uh, is starting medical school at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Since the day of my accident, he's wanted to become a doctor. He worked for the orthopedic trauma surgeon that saved my life a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, this fall, he's starting medical school. Uh, my youngest uh, is going to be a senior next year uh, at Vanderbilt University. While he was in high school, uh, he was a mechanical engineering uh, geek all through uh, high school. He was in the STEM program and uh, he started a, uh, um, a group called Project Mobility that through a summer internship that he had at a 3D printing fiber optic company out in Elgin, uh, learned how to and developed a mechanism to create and print 3D prosthetic limbs for people in need. And uh, that project is still going on even though he graduated from high school now four years ago. Uh, uh, and, uh, and they're still providing limbs to people at a fraction of the cost uh, that they, they cost from professional companies or through insurance companies. Uh, and that's what he's doing. Uh, my wife, at the time of all this craziness, uh, trying to keep our family together because I was depressed and comatose on a couch, was fighting insurance companies, uh, fighting our insurance company to cover my bills. After all this sudden cleared and they did finally decide to pay the bills, a spot opened up in the Illinois House of Representatives the party came to my wife, who at the time was a physical or a, uh, a political science professor at Northeastern Illinois University. And they said, you've been fighting insurance companies for the last year and a half for your husband. How would you like to do that for the state of Illinois? Well, now she's an Illinois senator. She chaired insurance in the Illinois House. She's going to chair insurance in the Illinois Senate sooner rather than later. And her whole platform has been to level the playing field for normal everyday people that wind up filing bankruptcy, about 90% of all the bankruptcies filed in the United States 
are due to medical bills, and that's her platform. Silver linings come out of everything. You have a choice to see those silver linings. Use this time that we have right now as a mechanism to find them. You're doing an amazing thing being part of this incredible organization. When I met Debbie and Steve a couple of weeks ago, I was blown away reading some of your stories, reading about your accomplishments, reading about what you're doing. You are the next generation of leaders. You all have the ability to create change. Change doesn't happen from the top down. I know you think it does because that's what you're fed every single day, every time you turn on a TV. Real change happens from the ground up. It comes out of passion and need and desire and hope and faith. You guys all have that. It's an amazing organization that you're a part of. It's an amazing thing that this exists. I wish I had known about this before. Um, so anyways, you have the ability to heal. Healing is a choice on your part to some extent, just like everything is a choice on your part to some extent. Look for silver linings in what you're going through, what we're all going through. Find out what binds us together, connects us inextricably now more so than ever in the history of the world because this virus doesn't discriminate against anybody. Rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, trans, it doesn't matter. It sees nothing <laughs> at all. We're, we're all equal right now. And hopefully the silver lining that's gonna come out of all this is that type of understanding and connection and we can bring a little bit more mindfulness into how we all coexist with one another because we do have so much more in common than we have in difference. Well, Michael, <laughs> Michael, you talk like a Baha'i. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I was just waiting for it. <laughs> um, I have a shirt that says flowers of one garden. And this is from a speech that Abdul Baha gave that said that we were like flowers in a garden. Some of us were yellow and some of us were blue and some of us were purple and all different colors. And that made the garden beautiful. The garden isn't beautiful because it's all one color. The garden is beautiful because we're many colors and we're many sizes and shapes. And that's the most beautiful garden. The most beautiful garden is not a garden where it's all yellow flowers or, or all blue flowers. You know, just think of a spectacular garden. In fact, the one behind me has lots of colors. And that's how we are as humanity. If anyone else would see fit to turn on their, their cameras, that would be wonderful. I know Michael asked for that. Um, first of all, Michael, thank you for your inspiring story. Um, I love your spirit. I share your spirit. I share your idea that, you know, we, that one religion doesn't have uh, a lock on the truth. The truth uh, from a Baha'i perspective is in all religions. In fact, Baha'is will go one further. The only word you said that I don't like is coexist. You know, I don't like that word. I, 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 you told me before and I, I, I wasn't meant as a mechanism to offend you. I, I promise. Oh, it didn't offend me, but I just figured I'd break it up. I just think coexistence isn't enough. And I think we have to go beyond coexistence to unity. And so I think today we're just trying to get to coexistence. But I would say, especially to young people who still aren't turning on your cameras, you know, I think <laughs> it's because they don't realize how beautiful they are with their cameras. See, Michael, you and I, old guys who look ugly all the time, we'll put our cameras <laughs> Yeah, come on, you're making us talk to boxes that are blank boxes with just your names on them. You guys don't even have your pictures on there. Um, but anyway. But I, I understand because I have a teenage daughter and, and she doesn't understand how beautiful she is all the time. She just thinks, you know, yeah, 
anyway, um, so I, again, I think that the understanding that we're one humanity is, is really, really important. And I do agree with you that the silver lining behind COVID is that we are one humanity and that it's, going, it's hitting every country and it's hitting rich and poor. It's also showing the inequities we have. Sure. So it's showing the inequities in wealth and of race. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot in the news about race uh, recently, and, and it's necessary. So I'd like to hear from some, some younger people any questions you have, first of all, for Michael, and any, because this has been in the, the top, in the news for the last couple of weeks and really getting worse. How do you think we can solve our race problems here in America? Don't all raise your hands at once. It's a hard question. I know you've all been out of school for a while, but come on, answer these questions. There's no right or wrong answer here, okay? None, it's opinions. Let's hear your opinions. Let's hear questions. Let's hear something, you know? Is there anybody out there? I can offer something, but Steve said he wants to hear from the young people, so I can't say anything. <laughs> Nico, what about you? <clears throat> Sorry, there's a lawnmower running right outside my window. I'm gonna close the window. <laughs> but um, yeah, I know it's a very complex issue. I think there's not really any singular fix to the problem of racism. I don't think there's really any particular thing you could say we're going to do this and it's going to end everything it's going to make sure that we're all united as one person I think what's most important is as uh, as Michael said embracing the differences that we all have realizing that although we may look different although we may come from different socioeconomic backgrounds we may come from different families and neighborhoods that we're all one united person we're all one united race as you know as Steve always says it's it's a matter of just realizing that regardless of how we may look different, that we all work the same way. We all have the same organs and we all have the same existence here on this world. And we just have to do our part to continue to make a more compassionate and more understanding world where we all can coexist and unite and continue to foster great ideas. Um, Okay, uh, from Evelyn, we've got a question, Michael, which is good. Thank you, Nico. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Evelyn's question. The video mentioned that there was a turning point where you started to, hang on, I gotta go to chat to read this. Uh, started to doing it for yourself versus doing it for others. What caused this change in mindset with the yoga? Well, you know, for me, it, I mean, there were, a couple, uh, there were a couple points. You know, trying to do anything for someone else's vision of of what your life should be you know how you should turn out you know is a tough motivator when it comes down to it you could go on that path you know holding a high vision and space for things turning out fine whatever it is that you're doing but until i found that i was at that training for me and whether I ever became a teacher or I didn't, it wasn't really the point until I really wanted to be there, until I felt like this is my path right now because I want it, not because others told me 
how this would be such a great thing for me to do because it was the next logical step in, you know, my, I don't want to say uh, evolution in, in, in the yoga, uh, but I didn't really go to that training because I wanted to go to that training. I went to that training because I'm like, all right, I guess this is where, what comes next. And until I was on board with why I was really there, you know, um, I was there and going through the motions, which I'm sure many of you have felt, you know, throughout uh, a lot of schooling, you know, high school, <laughs> you know, a lot of that because you're still trying to find your way and you're just going through motions to figure out where the next thing that comes. I'm not telling you not to go through motions because there's certain things that you have to do that are just part of life. Uh, you know, finishing high school, if choosing to go to college or some other type of education or finding a job, you know, there are, there are going through motions to get to the next step. But until I really chose to be there for me, that was when I discovered my passion for, for teaching. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, I couldn't think of doing anything else right now with my life than what I'm doing for the first time. I hated practicing law. Okay. I hated selling hours for a living. You know, I wound up going to law school for the motions just because I just didn't know what else to do with my life at that point. Um, and it was that, it was that kind of thing. So, you know, the moral of the story is find something that you're passionate about. I know a big foundation of this organization is doing that in service. Find something that you're passionate about. Find something that you love so much. And if you do, I've been telling my kids this since they were little, you'll never work a day in your life if you love what you do every single day. Um, and that's what I feel like now. Every time I teach and finish a class, people are thanking me. I'm thanking them. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the ability to be in this space and to, you know, to, to connect with you. Um, so, Michael, uh, there's something that comes to mind uh, when you uh, talk, and that is, uh, this is a hidden word from Baha'u'llah. My calamity, did I tell you this one before? My calamity is my providence. Outwardly, it is fire and vengeance, but inwardly, it is light and mercy. Hasten thereunto, that thou mayest become an eternal light and an immortal spirit. <coughs> this is my command unto thee, do thou observe it. Did I tell you that one? You have not. So essentially, you know, and this is hard to understand, especially when you're younger, but I, had, I haven't ever had anything as traumatic in my life. Uh, but some of the things that were mildly traumatic have always helped me, but I didn't realize that till later. I failed as a restaurateur, but I learned a lot. Um, in high school, I was a cross-country runner. My only dream, I didn't really care about school very much. I was not a great student, um, but I really loved to run. And so my only dream was to run downstate. And I, I started off as a pretty bad runner. And by my junior year, I was a pretty good runner. And I made it to the state qualifying meet and didn't qualify. So I knew I was going to make it my senior year because I was getting better every year. And I, and I was running and, and I was running uh, one day with the, the two leading runners on my team. One was the leading returnee in the state. And the other was beating him every race and winning every race. And I was always about a minute behind him. And then one day in practice, I wasn't. I was with him stride for stride. And the next day I was with him stride for stride. And I felt something pop in my foot and I broke my foot oh. out for the season. And it's the only time in my life I was actually pretty much clinically depressed because that's all I've wanted for, for years. 
And, uh, but it, it changed me. I became much more out, out, uh, outgoing. I was very much an introvert. I turned and became an extrovert. I gained a lot of weight, which was good because that's, it's usually not good. But in my case, I was 6'4", 145 pounds. Wow. So I was a little bit too thin. And so I, I gained a bunch of weight and I went to college about 40 pounds heavier and I still was skinny. Um, and so I, uh, I think it was very good for me to have that change and I wouldn't have had that change had I not broken my foot. And uh, I, I think, you know, you probably have made some spiritual advances that you might not have made as quickly or as well without this calamity. I'm just right. guessing. I definitely wouldn't have made any of them. <laughs> um, I don't think I was a bad person before this accident. It's just, you can't know what you don't know. And you don't know it until you know it. And, you know, most people, there's some people in this world that are brilliant enough to learn through reading and studying uh, insight. It just finds them or they find it. I'm not that bright for me. I need to get hit in the head with a brick probably about five or 10 times before I finally realize that one, I'm getting hit in the head with a brick and two, I'm getting hit in the head with that same brick again and again, maybe in different situations, but the underlying cause of why I'm getting hit in the head with that brick is the same. It took me a while to figure that out. This accident was, you know, really the starting point of getting hit in the head with that brick. Um, and, and not only getting hit in the head with that brick, but holding on to the brick and putting that brick into a backpack that I carried with a bunch of other bricks throughout a large part of my life, not really understanding why I was doing it and really, you know, what the yoga, you know, as the mechanism for, uh, for helping me to realize and become you know, uh, one of my teachers uh, uses uh, the, uh, the term over time, you become aware of your awareness. You really begin to see people and situations for what they are. And I was carrying around all those heavy bricks in my backpack. And one day I finally said, you know what? I don't need to carry these anymore. And when I took them out of my backpack, not because anybody else put them in there, I did. You know, and only I was able to take them out. And once I did, it was the most liberating experience, not caring about what people thought about me, not caring about the expectations that people had of me, nothing against anybody. You know, I surround myself with positive people. Okay. I'm not saying I'm better because I'm more positive and they just look at life all negative. I just choose to surround myself with positive people that help to uplift me, themselves, everything around them. I don't think the people that are negative and you know, uh, blaming and shaming everybody else out there are worse than me or bad people. They're just a different place on their path than I am on mine. So I make a conscious choice to surround myself with people that you know, not see things the exact same way as I do, but see things from a place of faith and love and hope and tolerance and acceptance and unity and coexistence and all those other things, because that's how I want the world to be. Well, let me, uh, let me kind of say a couple things from what you said. One is 
Um, I had a really difficult time. I was going through about three, four years ago with a nonprofit I was working on where uh, we were having a lot of problems, both on the board and with leadership. And um, I, I learned and memorized this hidden word from Baha'u'llah. And it's, oh, friend, in the garden of thy heart, plant naught but the rose of love. And from the nightingale of affection and desire, loosen not thy hold. And here's the piece that you just said. Treasure the companionship of the righteous and eschew all fellowship with the ungodly. And so uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll answer I'll ask the question. So essentially, Michael, what you're saying is, and I really think this is a very important message for young people, is, is surround yourself with people who are going to take you and take you to another level. Um, the question uh, in chat from Anusha is, what, what do you have to do to have a mindful lifestyle? Um, it's a good question, Anusha, and thank you for having your camera on. It's been nice to look at you throughout this whole thing. Um, you know, it's, it, it starts with a willingness and a, a loss of fear of being wrong. <laughs> okay, I used to, you know, wake up every day, you know, afraid of what I didn't know. And now I wake up every day and I'm excited to learn what I don't know. And there's so much that I don't know. Your generation <laughs> really has the ability, okay, the responsibility to clean up for what my generation and the generations before me have so messed up. You don't see difference in a world right now where people are still fighting over the same things that they've been fighting over for hundreds of years. You see the commonality and the bond among us all. I am, you're the reason that I have faith that the future is going to be better because you're the next generation of leaders that could fix what many of us have, have, have broken. And when I say us, I mean the collective us before all of you and before us. So, so anyways, thank you so much for allowing me to share space with you today. Um, I am honored by you all. Stay on the path that you're on. You're going to make a huge difference in the world. It starts and ends with you.